Welcome everyone to another episode of the podcast. We're going to keep today quick and sweet for the intro. As always, please make sure you follow me on Instagram at Felix.Levine. Follow me on TikTok, Felix Levine. My YouTube channel, you can watch all video versions of every single podcast there. And let's get into today's fantastic episode. And my guest today, he is one of the OG YouTubers. He also is the CEO and founder of Influencer.com. He's an amazing entrepreneur. I look up to him on many, many levels. Please welcome Casper Lee. And we're live. Casper, thank you so much for... uh taking the time today it's first a pleasure to meet you um we've been in the works for this i don't know how much your team has told you for a little while um so i'm very very excited uh to have you on and i really enjoy your story uh because there's a lot that uh that i admire about your work and, and your career that we'll obviously get into but thank you so much for for taking the time today thanks felix um yeah it feels like it's been in my diary for a while i've been super excited <laughs> so i told you a few seconds ago is there a little tidbit a little story a little something the world doesn't yeah. know about Casper Lee from what's already out there. Well, I, I don't know if it's obvious or not, but I, I had a very big head as a baby. And um, this I'm laughing about it and smiling about it, but it was actually pretty traumatic for my mother um, because uh, when you have a large head as a baby, you can cause <laughs> some problems. Yeah. And so pretty dramatic entrance into this world. And actually she had to get transferred into a private hospital uh, in the same hospital and the same wing in which like the princes of the UK are born into. It's called like the Lindo wing. And so this traumatic event kind of led me into this luxurious hospital wing. And that's where I started my journey. And ever since then, I've been trying to live that life again. And that's why I work so hard. <laughs> <laughs> to be back in, in the presence of royals. Oh, yeah, somewhere where they would, uh, yeah, so maybe one day my own child can be born into that same wing, but uh, hopefully not through a traumatic event. But I feel like now your your head looks pretty normally sized, at least on Zoom. Yeah, I think I grew into it. Um, growing <laughs> up, I was slightly, um, it was slightly bigger, and then eventually I got to six foot three, and uh, it's it's not something I worry about anymore. <laughs> Did, uh, so... I guess where I want to start is when you were a kid, did you ever, you know, let's take 12 year old Casper. Did you ever think that uh, now 17 years later, you would be in a position where, you know, this is where you would be that you're living a life of, you know, uh, having been a creator, getting into to VC and, and all the other entrepreneurial things that you're doing. Did, did, was it on the radar? Was it something that you didn't expect? Yeah, I think at 12 years old, I didn't know what a VC was. Yeah, uh, I didn't know what a YouTuber was because it didn't exist. But there was a time I wanted to be an actor. So I remember like applying for this commercial. It was like a, a Portuguese commercial. There must have been hundreds of kids applying. I don't know why they came to South Africa for this. Uh, and we had to learn Portuguese. And I, I remember getting so excited after... Um, doing my audition that I thought I was going to meet Tom Cruise and move to Hollywood. Um, and you did and I obviously didn't get the role. <laughs> and even if I did, I don't think it would have led uh, me down that life. But I think I always believed 
that anything like that was was possible. I always thought I was in my own little film. The older I got, the less I believed that. Um, but I just kind of fell into YouTube, probably because of that desire to maybe impress other other people in my class. I was a little bit insecure, but um, thought I was, you know, thought I, I, I guess I, what I'm trying to say is I try to, I, I really wanted to kiss the prettiest girls in the class, probably with a big insecurity of mine. And I thought YouTube would lead to that. Um, in the first few years, it didn't. People thought it was so silly because this was in 2010, five years after YouTube started. And that's not where, you know, the cool kids were going. That was where kind of the outsiders were going. And and so I discovered this place um, to try and impress kids in my class. That didn't work, but I fell in love with the platform. And, um, you know, for the next 10 years, really dedicated my, my life to it um, and met a load of people along the way, which then led to... Uh, you know, co-founding influencer.com uh, and MVE, which which then led um, uh, to a bunch of people asking if I would invest in in their businesses and then partnering up with Sasha uh, to launch Creative Ventures. So I think it's really a tale of I managed to get some traction in one area of my life because I fell into a really hot space. And then I was able to leverage that to do other things that I don't think 12-year-old Casper believed he could do. There's one thing in in, in doing uh, my research and and listening to you speak on on other podcasts or shows that and they you know just mentioned as well is kind of that insecurity or um, kind of anxiety and I think I don't want to you know put words in your mouth but kind of the way that that I that I interpret it is also like you know you almost like seek this feeling sometimes now as well to know that you're, you know, going out of your comfort zone to know that you're, go you're doing something. Let's put it that way. Um, how did you, I guess, in the beginning before you started finding success and, and then now deal with the anxieties and also in a way, are you grateful for them because it led you down the road that it did? Yeah. I think it's weird. I don't think I had that kind of anxiety as a kid. Um, I think it's something that as you get older, you start to care more about. Maybe when you're 16, there's other things you care about. But as you enter your early 20s and you start to enter maybe the workforce or business or something for the first time, um, I think you think that everyone has it all figured out and that uh, you're basically an imposter. And everyone talks about imposter syndrome, something I think pretty much everyone should probably suffer with unless they're Donald Trump or they have some <laughs> sort of uh, ego. And so, yeah, I, I definitely, I think I suffered it to, you know, a, a very kind of high, high extent. Um, and for a while I did kind of avoid things and I realized that avoiding things was making it worse. And, you know, it was the anxiety. It was just, um, just feeling super uncomfortable for like days before doing any high pressure situation. Um, and so I, I, you know, over time, look, it still happens, but it, 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 it every time I do something, it kind of re kind of gives me the confidence to do something else. And then if I leave it for like six months, I'll probably feel like I'm starting again. And so that's why I like to continuously do stuff that makes me feel like slightly out of my comfort zone. So I just came back from uh, the Middle East where I did like seven talks. During the first talk, I felt anxious, which was like, why am I like, I do this all the time. Why am I feeling this? 
second talk felt a little bit less third less fourth I was just like it was like it was chilling in my I felt like I was chilling in my bedroom like and and so just continuously doing things and being you know having your muscles exercised I think is good and I think that that's with you know working out that's with running and it's the same with kind of I suppose pushing the boundaries when it comes to um even mental health like doing stuff that makes you feel scared uh, if you can do it enough you'll lose that fear do you think in the beginning uh specifically more in, in your childhood as well the anxiety came from uh anxiety or perhaps insecurity came from wanting to be acknowledged or loved by your peers or you know at that point in time your maybe your classmates uh, even I think I think yeah I think that's a pretty universal thing I I, I, again, it's weird, like, looking back on it, I, I didn't feel the anxiety then, but there was probably, as, yeah, I always wanted to, as I said, I wanted to impress people, um, but it didn't manifest itself in, like, that 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 feeling, and I think uh, maybe the pressure, the pressure of, like, young adulthood and so on, um, and the world, we live, and I also question, is it also the fact that I've, you know, spent um, so many years scrolling on, on my phone, Um, and not maybe being as present that it kind of leads to that like as soon as all of that stuff is gone and you're there in the moment and you have to deal with a high pressure situation um, is that what it came from and so it's just working on those sorts of things like working on breathing um, all of that stuff that's really helped do you still want to impress people I think so I think that's something I I I I I think I just want yeah, I, I don't know. I think I I don't know. I, I would. Do you want to impress people? I, I'd love to know. Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny because I think I don't know if you if you define you would you say you're more introverted or extroverted? I think I, I'm depending on the day. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. Right. So, yeah, I mean, like, I think I'm a little bit more introverted. I think in some yeah. social situations, some people are like, you're extroverted. I'm like, I don't really feel that way. Um, And I think to some degree, anybody that wants to have success in order to have success, you have to impress on, you know, some range on the spectrum. So I think, you know, but like when I do, I actively think I'm trying to impress people? No. Um, And I think, you know, then there's also a a healthy medium of like, when you try too hard, it also can make yourself feel like shit. So I don't know, it's a weird dichotomy. But I'm curious for you if it's like, because because some could argue like you've impressed millions of people and millions of people a lot a lot of times over. But, you know, I'm fascinated by like, if you feel that way, and if so, or if not, and then also like, do you still want to? And what does it feel like to you when yeah. you do? I don't think that's part of it. I think that goes with the imposter syndrome a bit. I think it's not, you know, there are a lot of YouTubers out there who have big audiences. And because of that, they think they have to be a certain level of impressiveness. Or maybe it's not just YouTubers, maybe it's business people, um, actors, so on. And so they they want to live up to the expectations that that people perceive they have and so that's one thing and then going back to just you know the, the you know the question is do humans just inherently want to impress their peers probably as survival mechanism you know we're tribal people uh we want to have our place um and we're extremely social people and i think that's just something that you know, you kind of have to fight against without fighting too hard because you also, you don't want to be someone who completely gives up and doesn't care about what other people think. And so I think you're so right. I, I love it when you, I see people in flow 
who aren't there, you can tell they don't really care that much about what other people think. Um, and I think I'm still trying to get there, but I've definitely come a long way in terms of worrying about it as much. Well, I think too, you know, it's funny, like, uh, I talk to people that are in the public eye and, uh, and even my girlfriend who's in content, also an entrepreneur, very successful as well. It's like, to some extent you have to like, not give a fuck because I think like, yeah. if you can really get there, it's like extremely freeing. It's very, very hard. I've noticed, like, I have such admiration for people who like truly do not care, but then on some level, if you, you have to care enough to even get there. So it's like this weird thing. And then I think, you know, especially with, uh, you know, you're, you're a couple years older than me, but like, let's say our generation is like, there's so much stimulation to always feel like you have to care or you somehow always care. Um, but for you, like now, what is, what is it that you put your, the most of your self-worth in? Is it, um, the way people perceive you? Is it financial success? Is it, how do you, how do you put a metric to it? There's a few different areas in my life. One is my golf swing. Um, so I, I care a lot it's weird how much I care about that like um, versus even financial success um, so that's that's one it's it's exercising consistently and feeling good it's like my sleep um, obviously I think financial success is there um, as a very important factor it's not it's not something I'm lucky enough that like I worry about too much um, and and I you know, there's a part of me that thinks if I ever got to a crazy level, would that actually um, have a negative impact? Is there something cool and fun in life about doing already have done quite well, but also like still being in the game and going for it and like looking for something else? And and I worry that like, what if you never get there? And what if you're just you and you, you thought what would get you happy or would get you that feeling of success just doesn't exist? And uh so, so that's something to talk about maybe as well. Um, and then outside of that, uh, you know, my relationships with with my family, I think I've got an incredible relationship with with my fiance, uh, which is like amazing. It's, it's like, it feels like the least uh, kind of thing that I worry about. And it's also the best thing in my life. So maybe that's telling me something that the less you worry <laughs> about something, the better it gets. Yeah. Yeah. What? Well, and, and how long have you guys been together? For six years now. Wow. So, how did, how did yeah. you how did you meet? We met, uh, it's a funny story. So when I was, um, when I was 18, I came to the UK for the first time. I, I, just bear with me on this story because it sounds a bit strange in the beginning. Um, and at the time she was, uh, a, uh, wait, was so she was, was I 18? So she's five years younger. So she was 13. Don't worry. I Don't worry, I'm bearing. <laughs> she went to a meet and greet um, and we met. I don't remember meeting her. She kind of remembers it because, you know, she was a she was a viewer of mine and many other YouTubers. We can call and her then, a fan for a second. Call her a fan. <laughs> um, and then um, and then, a, you know, fast forward to when she's 19 and I think I'm 24. Um, uh, I I follow her on Instagram and I start commenting on all of her photos um, because I think she's really cool. And then she she puts a story up saying, oh my gosh, like 13 year old me would be fangirling so hard right now. And I was like, oh, wow. Are you, well, at first I was like, are you taking the piss? So I asked her and then she said, oh, literally, here's a photo of us. And I thought that was so cool how straight away she just sent a photo. It wasn't something she was at all embarrassed about. Um, and and then we, we went on a, a date where we played Monopoly. 
Um, on the first date, Monopoly. First date, yeah. It was. I also did really embarrassingly. I I don't think I should admit this, but I also I think I bench pressed her. You, you bench pressed her on the first date. Yeah. Wow. So wait, how that, do, wait, wait. Question, question. I have a lot of questions. How do you get to the point on a first date where you say, "Can I bench press you?" <laughs> That's another thing. I don't have the best memory, but I know we did some bench pressing. I can't. I shall tell you probably exactly how it happened. Um. But yeah, I, I'm pretty sure we we had a few drinks and uh, and I'm just quite a weird guy. Um, and she looks <laughs> weird as well. And so I think that just like taking the piss and for some reason, maybe I was also, I was probably trying to prove myself again. <laughs> but, but, but I probably made it seem like a joke. Wait, so then do you remember where you took her? Did you go somewhere first before Monopoly and bench presses? Oh, so that's the, that also is. She came. She came to my apartment, but it 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 was it was less awkward because I well it's actually maybe more awkward. I also had my roommate at the time around, and he played Monopoly with us. <laughs> um, so it who was won? Situations. Pardon? I hope you won. Uh, I think I I'm 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 pretty sure I I did. I'm pretty sure I did. <laughs> she doesn't tell me otherwise. No, she so she she can actually hear me and she just ran into the room. <laughs> She, she ask won. her ask her ask her how you started bench pressing and but how did i start bench pressing she said i just brought into conversation that i could lift really heavy that's surely i wasn't that but i wasn't being serious she she, she she thinks i was and then and i'm curious is, is is she in the content space or adjacent at all yeah so she's um she she was at university when we met um and then she was a model as well at the same time so she had already she had a few kind of people following her for, for that uh and then she started making content um and now she does a bunch of travel content which is really cool uh, mixed with lifestyle stuff so yeah she yeah she does really well out of it what, she's, she's what more active of the two of us she she definitely gets more story views than me at the moment <laughs> what what have you learned the most from uh being in a you know obviously a healthy and, and loving relationship with her from both a, a personal level but also uh professionally speaking as well i think i'm i'm always learning i think something i'm learning now is when i i felt like whenever we when when we had fights or disagreements that i had to like sort it out there and then and i'm realizing now that you don't have to sort everything out you can kind of it's okay to for her to be a bit angry with me and for me to be a bit angry and for us just to take some time breathe a little bit and like 30 minutes an hour later you can you can sort it out whereas I was the kind of person who has to jump into anything straight away and I think actually that's something with business as well I'm I was the sort of person who wanted to pick up the phone and deal with things then and there and sometimes giving something room um can really help both myself and whoever else is involved especially when there's some sort of conflict so I want to take you back on, so you, you grew up in South Africa. Yeah. Correct? So, so I grew up in South Africa, I was born in England. We moved there in 2000, sorry, in 1995. So a really interesting time. Right. And what was, and so then you stayed there for the majority of your childhood? Yeah. So, so yeah. And so Nelson Mandela came in in 1994. Okay. Uh, and, and so, so some people thought like, you know, this guy, obviously great person, done some incredible things, but what, but, you know, apartheid had just ended. 
um and and so you know it was it was when some people were leaving the country and my parents saw it as a great opportunity to move somewhere um that was going through uh, an incredible transition um and also there was just loads of you know as a kid in England if if I grew up here I just the opportunities and the um and like the outdoor spaces and just living a really fun life it's it's a lot more uh, expensive and so we were able to have a pretty good upbringing in in a very interesting place and were your where were your your parents were involved and um what what industry like were they in any kind of content adjacent industry so yeah actually it's funny yeah so my my dad was actually an editor um and he he actually also did a bit of directing and advertising and so when he moved to south africa one of his jobs was to try and win a world cup bid i think it was a 2006 world cup so he actually got to meet nelson mandela wow um, nelson mandela was part of the campaign and at the time my dad's leg was broken so nelson mandela said to my dad um you must tell your wife not to hit you so hard in the leg when <laughs> he had a sense of humor and um yeah so he was doing that but then eventually um it's a very difficult industry to be in in south africa yeah. the industries and so yeah he did that for a period and then he became like he did all, all sorts of jobs actually my parents ended up uh, becoming estate agents at one point so everyone's most annoying uh people but but they were they were good that they were good at it and then um they also even opened a chocolate factory wow um, and I used to go to the the market on 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 weekends and and help them sell chocolates, and so I I saw an entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. It wasn't successful in terms of like financially, but it was cool to see them take something from zero and literally create a brand out of nowhere. Um, but I also learned a lot about like how difficult it is to run a company. Did you? When did you know that the entrepreneurial route was going to be something in the cards for you? I think when I had the opportunities as a YouTuber, and I always say this to other creators, I think we're given such a chance compared to just any other person because a lot of us have a bit more free time. We have access to capital and we also have access to like people's attention. Mm-hmm. And so it gives us such a leg up. And I don't know, I, I probably would have tried to become an entrepreneur regardless because as you know, as I said, growing up, I was you know watching this going on, and I always wanted to be like financially secure. But I think I think just being a creator is like it's real. That's why I think so many of them are launching companies. Yeah. They have that. They have things that you really need. And for a lot of people, if you're doing a nine to five, um, and you, you're supporting a family, and you're slightly older, um, and you have like a mortgage it becomes really difficult to take a risk that is really, really risky. Yeah. I think, you know, it's funny. I was at a, a dinner last night with somebody who's a big time kind of manager in, in the influencer and, and content space. And I was asking, uh, I was asking this person, same question I'm about to ask you in a second, which is I like, I kind of think to some extent we might be in a little bit of a bubble when it comes to the creator economy in terms of like, some of the brand deals are insane, you know, um, and God bless them. But like, I, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a lot of money for sometimes kids, right. That like, don't know what to do with it. Um, and you know, what I, what I really admire about some people, 
Um, and I've seen it with my girlfriend because she has, you know, real business attached to the content, um, but also not attached to the content. So it's, she's not, you know, relying on a platform is, you know, being able to really create businesses and brands from the fact that they have an audience and, you know, have uh, high viewership. Do, in your, you know, very expert opinion, do you think that this is a bubble? Do you think that um, it's here to stay? What What are your What are your visions on kind of the space at the current moment? Yeah, I think the the brand deal bubble. I don't know. I mean, I think some people every now and then are just getting really good deals, and maybe it's not a data led brand deal whereby like the brand is using a good partner like influencer.com to pay what um to pay what someone's actually worth for a piece of content and what their audience is going to help drive in terms of sales so that can happen um but i still think a lot there's a lot of value uh, to be had when doing this correctly and um and and we're going to see that forever in my opinion as long as there's a platform out there where people can create content we're going to see brand deals um because we've really democratized attention and 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 that's not going anywhere but what i did see uh, a lot of especially with the investing stuff is people trying to build companies where creators are their clients so by that i don't mean like a management business i mean like a financial services business say like a credit card company and they they're like we're just going to go after creators or uh an, you know an accounting software and I'm sure there's some good ones out there, but what we saw were a lot of creators are really difficult customers to acquire um, because yeah, as 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 your girlfriend, if as you've probably seen with your girlfriend and so on, it's like they get a lot of inbounds. They sometimes have managers, um, and they're usually paid to do things. So trying to convince them to pay for a, a service or a product is really difficult, and they're only really like paying for services or products like Canva or Final Cut or macbooks because yep. those are going to help them make better content so they like to do that um sometimes they like doing rev share but it's still hard like there needs to be a serious reason why especially with a lot of these um gate gated content platforms like patreon or OnlyFans, there needs to be a really big reason why some creators are charging fans who can afford to watch their content versus giving it out for free and I think this inherently comes from the fact that the creators have been able to build an audience and they've been supported by people. And they, they sometimes find it difficult to say to their fans, like, yeah, if you've got money, you can you can watch my good stuff. Um, however, that's really lifestyle people when it comes to like educators, when it comes to adult content, when it comes to, um, you know, maybe very specific niches i think there's more of an opportunity so you have seen some success there but i think there was this huge bubble where people thought all creators could pay all content all creators wanted to spend shit tons of money because there's like 50 million of them now and they they're an unserved market but what people forgot was like you know zero or you know um you know monday or whatever software that already exists can still be used by creators they don't need their own version so for you and just for some of the listeners that are not maybe uh, familiar with influencer.com, will you quickly kind of sum up what it does and, and how you created it? So, yeah, um, influencer.com uh, connects brands and creators um, at, at scale. And, and, and we do so um, with our incredible people and their expertise and our platform, which um, 
plug straight into all the biggest social platforms so we get um, real-time data, historical data, all the stuff we need to make sure people aren't overpaying and people are also being paid correctly. Um, and, and so we, we manage campaigns for some of the world's biggest brands um, and we've been doing that for like seven years. So we see ourselves as like the originators of influencer marketing. Um, we're also like founded by, I'm a ex-creator and we have a, a lot of uh, investors who are creators. So a lot of these businesses kind of, they saw this world and then they started because there was a lot of money to be made. We we really come from this world. Um, and, and, and uh, sorry, what was your second question on that one? I just lost. Well, I guess one, one that I, I think you, you answered it, but, but okay. more for you, um, what does your day-to-day look like when it comes to, to influencer.com and then also uh, more of the the creator ventures and and VC side. So so my day to day with influencers, I'm on the board. Um, I'm uh, what we call chief vision officer. So um, with a lot of good businesses, there's like an implementer, which is usually the CEO, and then there's like the visionary, which is the crazy person running around and throwing twenty ideas. Are you the crazy person? For one to yeah, asking for one to uh, be be taken up as a as a rock for the month or for the quarter. So, so yeah, I, I do that. I, I, I work with clients. I work with creators. I work with a team. I, I, a lot of hiring, actually. I didn't realize how important, you know, knowing how to hire the right people is for founders. It's pretty much the most important thing. Um, and, and then, so that's something I focus uh, about half my week on. And then I also, obviously, with Creative Ventures, focus a bunch of time on that too. But, and, um, and, and that's essentially... Uh, a fund it's a 20 million dollar fund um we we invest in um basically technology that's shaping internet culture is like how we like to say it so um it's usually consumer internet type stuff um and and the way we support our founders is we understand social media we understand how to be creators we understand how to work with creators and so a lot of companies and apps and products being built now they're getting a lot of their marketing through both influencers but also treating themselves as creators in their own right so for example i don't know if you know 11 labs which is a voice ai business i mean it went completely viral and it's scaled now to like it's worth over a billion dollars within like two years um and it's doing really well uh, and that all came through the fact that like social media, people discovered it on there and they were able to go to market as like a consumer product. And now they also have a great B2B offering. And so we love stuff that can, we love prosumer, all of that kind of stuff. We, st- we love stuff that can scale through social media and usually it's technology that can do that. What have you learned? And and you, you launched Creative Ventures in 2022? So, so that one, yeah, we, we, I think more like 2020, we kind of closed it early 2022. Yeah. But we started investing 2021. And what was maybe one of the, uh, the harshest lessons you learned early? Cause I know that, you know, it, it can come with a sometimes learning curve. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was for me, it was again, one of those moments of like raising capital from institutional investors as someone who didn't, I didn't see myself as someone who should be in the room. Um, and so it was just having an incredible partner in in Sasha who, who is like the smartest person in the room and knowing that that person's on my team made me feel so, so much more confident. So just 
when you do something that difficult, knowing that you have the right teammate, I think is hugely important. In terms of investing so far, the stuff that's stung more than, you know, maybe an, we haven't had any failures yet in the fund. It's too early for that. But it's it's miss, it's it's missing out on stuff that you should have invested in that you didn't invest in rather than investing in something that doesn't do well. Um, again, we haven't had too much of it, but there have been rounds where we could have come in slightly earlier uh, and made even better returns. But at the same time, I don't know if you play poker, um, but, you know, sometimes you might have a 10-2 a in your hand and you see it and then the flop comes 10-10-2 and you go, well, I have the, I have a full house. Like, I'm such an idiot for not raising the, you know, pre-flop, right. but actually that's a good strategy. So it's a bit of that. It's, and then learning, like, okay, how can I predict, um, you know, especially in VC, like, a lot of our founders they their initial idea isn't necessarily the the idea that becomes big and it's it's going oh wow these are really good founders their ideas in a really interesting category and they've built something really cool just because we don't think the way their like go to market plan is per like we don't think that's perfect and so on doesn't mean that they're not going to figure it out and so those sorts of things have also been quite interesting to see i think what and and one of the the ways in which I I really um, admire your work and and your I think your trajectory in general and and something that that I hope to to replicate at many levels is, um, you know, personally I came from kind of a podcasting background and then started my own company um, nine months ago in in the startup space, uh, and then you know one day would love to to get on more of like the the investor VC side of it, but I'm curious for you what did you learn what what skills from the content space or the the networking or the connections do you feel like translated over the best um into your role now as as an investor i think like um again it's probably a market because we it's probably a marketing thing as well but um it's just collaborating with other companies so if you're a um you know if you're a startup there's so many other startups out there and there's so many ones like on your level and just above. And so if you can collaborate with people on your level a lot, you get further and then you go above and you keep collaborating. And I did the same thing with YouTube. So I started with a thousand subscribers. I collaborated with people, got to 10,000 and then collaborated with that level. And eventually was collaborating with like Ed Sheeran. And it was like, wow, this is crazy. And it's knowing not to, in the very beginning, ask Ed Sheeran to do a collaboration when you have a hundred subscribers. Um, it's really building that leverage for your for your company, and and that that's some you, you know that's a tactic you can use for marketing. Um, but I also I also think uh, it's it's a tactic for building a business. It's like knowing where you're at, who you can hire now, they can work for you now, and knowing when you get to a certain point, you're able to attract even better, and or that person grows with you, and uh, yeah. So there's a lot of I think those are some some small points that. I think fit that 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 question. And now we're just going to take a quick break to talk about my longtime sponsor in US Wellness Meets. They just recently revamped their website so everything that I'm about to tell you can be found at their all new and improved uswellnessmeets.com website. At uswellnessmeets.com, you can choose from over 350 foods raised the way nature intended. That includes 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, lamb, bison, elk, and dairy. They also have pasture-raised heritage pork, wild-caught seafood, and pasture-raised poultry. These are some 
of the host of foods that you can find at uswellnessmeats.com where the owners are the actual farmers themselves. And now they've introduced a subscription food delivery service and curated sample farm bundles. Choose the bundle of food you want to receive every month and they'll deliver it right to your door automatically. It's never been easier to serve your family real, honest-to-goodness food without the junk. U.S. Wellness Meats is the choice of championship sports teams, professional athletes, chefs, world-class trainers, and families just like yours all over America. Use promo code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to save 15% off of every order at uswellnessmeats.com. Now let's get back into it. What do you think is your best skill, generally Ooh. speaking? I think just you're not or entrepreneurially I speaking. I'm happy. Yeah, I, I think I'm kind of getting good at uh, I'm getting good at dealing with negative news, um, and I think that helps a lot as an entrepreneur because, especially or, or even like working so closely with my CEO and and investing as well. Like you're gonna you don't you do hear about the good stuff. But there's a lot of bad stuff that happens along the way and there's a lot of problems and just not taking that home with you or dwelling on it more than you need to emotionally. It's good. To, it's good to have a level of emotions with these sorts of things. But but I, I really like I'm getting proud of how well I'm dealing with with bad news. Um, and I think that's that really can help you. And 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 I and I, let me say that, like the bad news I'm hearing isn't, you know, a family member passing. It's not, you know, me getting ill. It's far more superficial. It's still important, but, but not treating something going wrong in business the same as you treat a Mm -hmm. really bad thing actually happening to you. I think it's really important. Do you, I'm curious, do you see yourself in the future having a family? Definitely. I, and, I, I, I'm worried about what, you know, the genes I'm going to pass on to them, but. Um, why are you worried about the genes? Seem like pretty good genes. Uh, I have, you know, you did. There's definitely worse, Casper. Let me tell you that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. No. Um, so, yeah, no, I, 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 I think for sure, I think it's going to be freaking hard. Um, I, I, I get to live a very like nice life. Me and my fiance, we don't have that much responsibility other than you know work and I, as i said like that's one thing but stuff going wrong in real life uh, or in your personal life is a lot more difficult to deal with so yeah i think i think having a kid will be tough i'd probably be the most difficult thing i ever do but i'll do definitely you, do it do you based off of also your understanding now of like the social media world and the world where it's at on the internet would you keep your your you know future child more gated or would you kind of you know like how do you do you think about that yeah I think I think um in terms of like posting them I I don't think I want to do that much especially when they have a personality maybe when they're you know completely a baby (laughs) I could post a few things about them but when they start to develop a personality I think it's up to them to start defining who they are to the world because that kind of stuff especially with AI and everything going on like that's around forever so um there's that part of it um and then there's also their consumption I think I think it depends I'm more worried about them consuming very hyper short pieces of content um that's super overstimulating 
then I am worried about like the platform they're watching it on and so on. So I, I would like to have some control over that. And I mean, I remember growing up watching like, you know, the Teletubbies and spending a lot of time in front of the TV. I don't think it destroyed me, but I think if I was watching five second Teletubbies and then scrolling and seeing something else, I think that would have a a, a, a worse impact. So I don't want to gate them from entertainment because I think that you can learn a lot from entertainment, but I am skeptical on, on like the attention span aspect. Does, do you think about as well, like, and, and I'm curious because you found success in your old, in your own life very early. And, and I think one of the things in listening to you and other interviews and now as well, that, uh, that I really respect is I think that, you have a very high level of humility and, and, um, and, and I'm curious, did you through this process? Cause now it's been what 11, 12 years, you know, in the public eye. Um, is that something that you've kind of made sure to, to remain grounded? And, uh, and also I think, you know, for, cause I see a lot of, you know, whether it's on my show or, you know, around you see a lot of young people achieving success very early both financially and in terms of eyes on them what do you recommend as as the best means of of handling that so that you know when you're 29 years old you're you're okay yeah um i think the first question i mean i i've been lucky i, I don't think i've ever been thrown into like the mainstream public eye i've always uh been you know i've had success i've had a lot of viewers um, but I've never had to deal with like the press and, and that aspect of things. So um, I can't speak to that, but I think just being happy and when I'm in a happy place or I'm, I'm satisf satisfied, I think it's easy to treat other people really well. So if you're in a good place, I don't, I don't know many happy people who aren't very grounded or aren't that humble. I think it's usually people who are in a really bad mood. They're really tired. They're really stressed. I think that's what leads to it. Personally, of course, there's personality types. Um, in terms of like advice to 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 younger people who are, who are going through it, I mean, it, it you can even see it in a selfish way. The way you treat other people is going to have a huge effect on you. So, I, I don't know why it would be a good strategy to not stay grounded or not be good to people because nothing good comes from that. Obviously, you need to have your boundaries, and that, that's also really important. You don't want to please everyone the whole time because I think that's also another issue in its own. But as long as you're fair to people and you have a you know a good moral compass, I think that's ultimately going to lead to more success for you if that's what you're after. And a lot of people I've met, um, I've like especially like CEOs um, and and people at the you know doing extremely well. I'm surprised usually with how nice they are. And it's usually your kind of mid-level um, people who are really trying to get somewhere and haven't quite got there or they're around those other people and they're trying to protect them. or I don't know, they're in their, they're in their posse. They're the ones who are slightly less nice. Um, and, and so that's always been surprising. Of course, there's outliers. Um, but whenever I'm about to meet a CEO, I'm usually, especially of a big company, I'm like, the only way they got here is probably being good to people too. Uh, unless maybe they're a founder CEO um, and 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 so on, but usually usually they're really good, and so I get excited to meet them. You were speaking about in another interview as well, um, and something that that I I love and and try to implement, um, and every all of my friends is, and tell all my friends to do as well is like, 
is you just don't know where relationships or things go, um, you know, and, and keeping doors open and you don't know, it could be in the moment, there's no real way to work together or no real anything past the initial conversation, but five years down the line, something can, can come from it. Do you have, um, you know, now with a, a hefty amount of professional experience, do you have perhaps an example that um, you can think of, of a time that you thought a conversation would lead to, to nothing and actually amounted to, uh, to an opportunity, a positive opportunity? Yeah, even, even recently, um, I met, I, I know this guy and he has a son who has a group of friends and they have, uh, they, they're starting a business uh, and they're like, you know, 16 years old and one's 18 and so on. And, you know, some people might be like, well, why, you know, they're so young, this is too early and so on. But I sat down with them and like I, I gave them my thoughts. I was super, super transparent and I just wanted to be as helpful as possible. And uh, they really, I think, enjoyed it. Um, and and then, I you know, they then asked me questions about what I was doing. And then like these 16 year olds were hooking me up with some of the best contacts I've ever met in like the world. <laughs> and I went to Dubai and he literally introduced me to like 10 people, including like a princess. Uh, and and so it's it's like, yeah, don't judge, a, you know, someone by their age or, or, or a book by their cover. Like um, it's 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 really cool just to be nice to people and you never know what they'll do in return. And also not expecting anything in return either. Actually, sometimes like I feel I feel like in my best mood when I feel like I've Again, this is a. I'm not saying this because I don't want to try to sound like a really good person and so on. But honestly, I feel so good when I feel like I've done something for someone else. Mm -hmm. I, it just makes me feel good for a bit. And so that's even. It's like even if you're a selfish person, like give it a go. Um, you'll be surprised how 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 good you feel after an hour of just giving someone um some information that they can walk away inspired from. To wrap things up, where do you hope that? Casper Lee is that well you're about to turn 30 and and uh you know four or five months but where do you hope that you're at when you're 40 years old what is what does life look like let's do a little manifestation exercise yeah I really really again this is gonna sound like oh he's just saying that I really just want to be as level and happy as I am right now I'm feeling like I'm going through a really good time um and and I hope that includes um some kids um, and I'm sure they'll come with challenges. As I said, they'll be my offspring, so they'll have a lot of stuff to deal with. <laughs> um, if 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 I I just hope I can do a good job. Really, I I really think like that's the most important part of of being around is to hand over the baton. Hopefully, it won't it won't be fully handed over, but I can give it a go. Well, I want to thank you for your time. I think that you know you're, I really admire your your story, and and I think kind of just for me is inspiring on the on both fronts um of both the, the content world and and the entrepreneurial side especially as well and uh and i have no doubts you're gonna be a, a fantastic father by the way um but uh but you know that's very exciting and and you know keep uh keep doing you because i think you know when i love seeing when successful people not just earn it of course but like do so in a way where they they carry themselves and in not a corny way, really do want to help other people. Um, and I do think that it's, uh, it's such a net positive, especially on, you know, this extremely stimulating online world. 
Um, so I appreciate you for your time. Uh, thank you so much. And then when you, when you come to New York, we'll have to, we'll have to meet up and, uh, we're, we're right by when you're in the meatpacking district. Thank you, Felix. And I, yeah, your questions are very good. Like, thank you so much. So you're doing it. You're doing an incredible job. Appreciate you, man. It's specific and you've done your research. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much.